the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Some concerning and also encouraging statistics out of the Southern Baptist denomination. And then we're joined by Curtis Chang to talk about his new book, The Anxiety Opportunity. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Tuesday afternoon. Aubrey, we're going to be joined in a little bit. I want to just give people, I want to prep them. Mm -hmm. At like 4.15-ish, we're going to have Curtis Chang on. He's on faculty uh, at Fuller, also at Duke Divinity School, does a podcast with David French. But he just wrote a book called The Anxiety Opportunity that I think you described well, because you can talk about anxiety as opportunity and doorway. And I think you described it well, that he really turns the anxiety conversation on top of its head, turns it around. Yeah, I have never heard anybody talk about anxiety, write about anxiety like this. And I am honestly very excited to have him with us uh, later today. You are not going to want to miss that. Yep. He's going to talk about it out of his own life and Mm -hmm. his own struggles. And so we're excited to have Curtis join us. Uh, But Aubrey, let's start here. The Southern Baptist Convention, I'm reading from Christianity Today, saw its largest membership decline in more than a century last year. Wow. And church attendance has not rebounded the pre-pandemic levels. Uh, And then I will, there are some optimistic points here. But what do we do with that? It's reported that SBC church membership fell from 13,680,000 in 2021 to 13,200,000 last year. So that's a lot of people all around. Uh, So what do we do with that? What do we do that this is their largest decrease in a very long time? You know, what's so interesting about this, and I will answer your question. I'm going to kind of talk around something to get there. I just finished reading Beth Moore's biography. Um, I think it's called All My Knotted Up Life. Wonderful book, by the way. Like everyone needs to read it right now. But towards the end, she begins talking about her decision to leave the SBC. And um, it, she, it, the thing that's so wild about it, Brian, is she, she talks about her childhood in the Southern Baptist Church. And she has so much love and affection for that church. And it's I came to faith in a Southern Baptist church. And she, I mean, she just like li- love, love, loves that church and was formed by that church. But then things began to haunt her about it that I think is part of the reason why so many people are leaving one, their uh, deep alignment with um, Trump, which really, really surprised mm-hmm. her because especially when he came out with his video on entertainment tonight or, or entertainment tonight released that video of him talking access about Hollywood, but access, yeah. thank access you. Hollywood. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Uh, I won't go into graphic detail, but talked about him grabbing a woman's genitals mm-hmm. and she, she was shocked to see many Southern Baptist leaders that she knew come out in full support of like, boys will be boys. That's just locker room talk. He's still God's man for the job. And 
she was like, well, I didn't, I, at the very least, I thought they would say, absolutely not. That's not how any leader in our country should treat women or that they wouldn't say anything. But their full support, like full steam ahead, really surprised her. Then the way that they were treating women, but her for a very, very, very long time. And then some of um, kind of the undealt with like racism in their history that all of that she writes about as part of her reason for living. A lot of it like personally heartbreaking to her, because like I said, it was a church that she had loved right. and grown up in and been formed in. So not an easy decision by any means. Um and yet I think that is a picture of why a lot of people are leaving the Southern Baptist denomination. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Now, uh, an interesting statistic kind of further down says this, that um, that baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is their main way of kind of tracking evangelism. Yeah. Uh, have been going down almost every year since the year 2000. It's either oh. remained steady or gone down. It went way down in 2020. Now, what happened in 2020? We closed churches due to the pandemic. Right, right. But now for the first time, it has begun going up again. So in 2022, Hmm. it was still lower than it had been at any point before 2020. But there had been an increase in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So hopefully that makes sense for people. If you look at the graph, it's going the right direction now, even though it's lower than it had been pre-pandemic. That seems like a glimmer of hope in an otherwise uh, difficult statistical analysis here. Yeah, I, I'd love to hear. I, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. Like, have you seen have you seen anything in your own church resembling this type of statistic? You know, we're not back yet to pre-pandemic stages, but I feel like we're really healthy. And so I wonder if the Southern Baptist Convention feels healthy, even though people haven't come back. Yeah, Uh, interesting. And there are some, you know, people want to talk baptism and membership and those things. I I will circle back to what you said earlier from Beth Moore and other things. I do believe that the Southern Baptist Convention, particularly of all of the – denominations. And it's the reason we talk so much about it is it's the biggest denomination there is in the evangelical world. I think the why there's been a decline is is generic more generally their very um ties to political parties, particularly the conservative Republican Party, that has turned people off who are not of that persuasion. Yeah. And specifically their ties to President Trump, as you said, I think that is wise. I think that is very much one of the factors. And two, we cannot undersell the amount of press, rightfully so, negative press that has come their way over the sexual abuse well, so And that's and something I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even mention before this list of what was it over 250 pastors and how it was hidden and how they, they didn't seem to handle it well. I, I think you're absolutely right. I want to go back to what you said earlier about the surge in baptisms. I, I do think that's a glimmer of hope, Brian, and you asked, is it a glimmer of hope in the midst of, you know, something really seems hopeless? I think so. And I think you're right. Like, perhaps in the purging, there is more health. I I Mm. hope that's true. I really do. I mean, I, I think conversions and baptisms have to be a sign that God is doing something still really incredible and hasn't given up. And maybe as they're making changes and things are coming out and they're no longer hiding, like there's a transformation taking place. But I, it feels like, I mean, many churches, right, have 
we've come out and heard about all of the abuse. But you're right, because this is one of the most, the largest, most influential evangelical mm-hmm. denomination in our country. Um, it it does make it hard to kind of wrestle with, like, should the Southern Baptist con- Convention continue as as it always has? Does there need to be like a total overhaul? Um, I, I don't know. It, it's a it's it's an interesting thought. I do think a lot of these folks that are leaving the Southern Baptist Church. What I would like to know is if they're leaving church in general, or if they've moved right. on to Anglican churches or other evangelical churches. Right. I'd be curious about that. That's right. And so, hopefully, the increase of baptisms because it's not pre-pandemic yet, but hopefully that continues to increase because I think that's a yeah. sign of new life. Yeah, that's a sign of of conversion. Um, but I do, I, I think the Southern Baptist Convention continues to reap what it has sown for the past decade, mm. whether it be their political ties uh, or the sexual abuse scandal. So hopefully they can continue to get the sex abuse scandal at least correct yeah. going forward, whatever oh, that looks I like. Hope so, goodness gracious. And, and uh, hopefully that we can see those numbers turn around as well. Coming up next. Curtis Chang is going to join us. He is the author of a uh, deeply personal book and an important book called The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. You're not going to want to miss Curtis Chang next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, I'm thrilled that we are joined by Curtis Chang. Curtis is on faculty at Duke Divinity School, also the co-host of a podcast with someone we like to call a friend of the show, David French. So many people have heard David here on these airwaves uh, many times. So, Kurt, it's great to have you join us today. How are you mm-hmm. doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And you've got a, a just a fascinating new book out called The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. So people might be hearing that going, well, that sounds backwards. And right. We're, we're going to get into that. But just to, in a brief uh, way, share your story, because I know a lot of what you've written is comes out of your own story. So if you could share some of that with us, we'd love we'd appreciate that. Sure. One of the things that you didn't mention in my bio is that I'm a former pastor of an evangelical covenant church in California. And the former is because I suffered from a catastrophic breakdown that was due to anxiety uh, that ended my pastoral career. So I know anxiety. And one of the my key realizations coming out of that, and this was, you know, 15, uh, oh, gosh. 16 years ago, um, was that a big reason for my breakdown was because I had been taught and I had somehow misunderstood the biblical uh, teaching on anxiety. And that was actually part of the cause of my breakdown. And so Mm. I wrote this book to try to correct and better inform the Christian church on how we ought to be thinking about, praying about, and uh, experiencing anxiety. Wow. Okay, let's actually begin there, Curtis, because I am so intrigued by this. Where has the church uh, gone wrong in the biblical teaching around anxiety? And what are some of the ways that you're trying to reform our thinking? Yes. So essentially, I believe Christians have been mistaught to conceive of anxiety only as a problem. It is, of course, has problematic aspects. But when we treat it only as a problem, then we treat it as something that we have to make go away. Mm-hmm. We have to make that solve that problem means making that problem go away. And typically, there's one of two ways that Christians do this. So, so they either 
try to pray it away or prescribe it away. So by praying away, that's where we are taught that anxiety is a sin. So a misreading of a verse like Philippians 4, 6, we think that anxiety is a sin, a lack of faith, a character flaw even. And we then have to pray, meditate, memorize scripture or something other, otherwise pray it away, make it go away because it is solely a problem. Some churches don't go that far, uh, but they will then still view it as a problem that they outsource to secular mental health solely. And in secular mental health, uh, they will prescribe it away through therapy or medication, which I think has value. There's value in both of those things to bring our symptoms anxiety down to some manageable levels. But secular mental health and its prescriptions do not unlock what I believe is the Jesus-centered promise around anxiety, which is it is not just a problem. It is actually an opportunity. And it is perhaps the most profound transformative opportunity for spiritual growth. But it requires us not to view it as a problem that we have to make go away, but rather as an opportunity we have to enter, as a, as a doorway that we actually have to go into and actually experience and endure and tolerate, not just, mm. not just make it disappear. Oh, wow. Said, that is just backwards of how most people have yeah. been taught. And so we're grateful for that. Uh, keep unpacking that. How can we view anxiety as an opportunity? How is it a doorway for us? Well, most fundamentally, I think it ha- you have to uh, realize that anxiety is about the fear of loss. That's what anxiety is. It's the natural, normal human reaction to an anticipated future loss. Mm. And by the way, just to underline how natural and normal and human it is and how it is not a sin, in my book, I unpack the many scriptures that show how the, the Bible believes human beings will experience anxiety, including the gospel stories of Jesus himself as he faced his most uh, you know, the loss of all losses is the cross, how Jesus in Gethsemane experienced anxiety. The, the Gospels go out of their way wow. to show that Jesus experienced all of the classic symptoms of anxiety, showing it's, it's the human normal reaction to impending loss. And this is precisely why anxiety is such an important opportunity for spiritual growth, because it puts forth before us just what do we believe is our future in God with loss. What, what does God actually say to us about loss? And too much of the Christian church has misportrayed the gospel as basically this cosmic loss insurance scheme, like God as the cosmic insurance broker that is going to ensure that we never experience loss. And that's simply not true of anybody who's lived life (laughs) and also not true of the scriptures and it's not true of the life of Jesus, of the one who experienced deep loss. And so Mm. it's an invitation for us to not run away from loss, which is what making anxiety goes away, going away requires us to do is to Mm. run away way and try to avoid loss, but rather to actually enter loss with Jesus and with the hope that Jesus brings both in enduring loss in the moment and the various ways we can actually experience anxiety with Jesus, but also what lies on the other side of loss, which is the most awesome promise of the anxiety opportunity is that the gospels actually promise not the avoidance of loss, but actually the restoration of loss through the promise of the resurrection. Wow. We're talking with author Curtis Chang about his new book, The Anxiety Opportunity. 
how worry is the doorway to your best self. I love, I love Curtis that you're flipping this whole conversation on its head. I, I would love for you to give our readers, our listeners, um, just a few handholds. Like what are some simple practices for converting nervous energy into fruitful energy? I know that's something that you write about in the book. Yeah, a lot of this has to do with uh, there are v- some very practical steps you can take to actually go th- experience anxiety. One of it is to just get present. Um, so what anxiety does is it hijacks us into the future, a future of loss. Any anxiety we experience is because we're, our minds have been hijacked into this imaginary future. And so if you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins his treatment about anxiety. And I would encourage readers to read the Sermon on the Mount because that is where Jesus does some of his most some of his most powerful teaching on anxiety. He's all about calling his followers to stop living in the future, to stop worrying about what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will uh, drink and so forth, all the future, but rather to get back to the moment, to the present reality. And he, he gives them some very practical steps like pay attention to nature, pay attention to the creation, pay attention to the God's present presence with you in the moment mm-hmm. right now. And so my book explains a lot of very practical steps that we can actually get more present with God, which does not mean we are, again, insured of any future loss, but it helps us to get present in the now, which is where we can hold on to Jesus and allow him to take us into that future, which is a different future ultimately than what anxiety is threatening us with. Wow. Absolutely. The book is called The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to your best self. Curtis, before we let you go, you're also, we mentioned earlier, the co-host of a podcast with David French called the Good Faith Podcast. Tell us about that. What is it that you guys are trying to accomplish with that podcast? That podcast is really, in some ways, connected to anxiety because uh, a lot of what's creating anxiety for Christians and for every all of us is what's happening in the world. And we can't seem to make sense of what's happening in the broader world. The Good Faith Podcast is a podcast where friends who follow Jesus help each other and help listeners make sense of the world, whether that is in the realm of politics, culture, media, AI, economics. Mm-hmm. We bring all of our, you know, our friends who are Christian thought leaders to help listeners make sense of the world around Jesus as the center. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the Good Faith Podcast. I'd encourage you to go subscribe to that and go get the Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. The author, again, is Curtis Chang. Curtis, thanks so much. This has been wonderful. Thanks Mm -hmm. for spending some time with us. It's so great to be with you guys. Thank you. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We've been kind of raving about this interview. I'm going to rave one more time. If you missed our conversation with Curtis Chang, Mm -hmm. he has a new book out today called The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is the Doorway to Your Best Self. Go back. You uh, do yourself a favor. Go back. Listen to that conversation on our podcast (laughs) or 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 podcast. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe, rate and review. You know, what's funny about that, Brian. I was in Oklahoma over the weekend and I said very innocently to my mom and sister, let's go get a cup of coffee. And my mom and my sister both went, a cup of coffee? What's a cup of coffee? I'm like, I'm not from from Long Island. Like, I don't all of a sudden have a New York accent. I don't sound like Brian saying Mario all of a sudden. But they heard it. They heard the Chicago in me. It comes out. I have officially, officially changed. All right, Brian. Beth Moore, I read her book while I was in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. It 
everyone needs to read it. It is so, so well written, so powerful. But she posted something on Twitter and she she's a lightning rod on Twitter for sure. It feels like increasingly it feels like mm-hmm. she has decided uh that I'm going to stir the pot. And I don't mean that to like it clicks, just like I'm going to be prophetic. prophetic. I'm going to totally, go. Totally, totally. I'm not going to hold back. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not going to be polite anymore. I'm yes. not going to really, I'm going to say what needs to be said. So uh, she got a million followers, I think. So influential, uh, to say the very least. But she got on Twitter a couple days ago and she said this. I want you guys to know something. I'm trying hard not to add to the angry noise here, but it's taken every bit of self-discipline I have to keep my mouth shut these days. Then she goes on. If a democracy can be defined by its repeated choices of leaders and its stomach for corruption, deception, financial fraud and violence, America is virtually amoral. Beth Moore believes that the current political era our nation is will, quote, prove to be a cautionary tale of two corrupt kings and a populist chanting lie to me and steal from me. She went on to say, I cannot fathom that these are our choice of leaders. Dear God, Moore concluded, saying she will now go back to her grapevine and her dogs. Mm. Uh, is she right? Sure. I think we've all, uh, we all like to think it's the other side, yeah, right? Like yeah. they're the ones that are amoral. They're the ones, but it's hard not to look at our leaders on both sides of the aisle and go, man, how are these? Are, and I'm not even just talking president. Like, do you ever look at our congressmen and listen to them talk and you're like, why is it that the craziest people get the most, get like the it's most this attention. big stew that we yeah. live in yeah. that right now you look at both sides of the aisle and you go, what are we about here? Like, they're not even respectable people. Right. And I guess, Aubrey, it does remind me, like, Beth Moore is right here, but the the real question then becomes, so now what? And and it just Mm. reminds us, like, I'm not a separatist. I'm not like, hey, the church, we as Christians should get out of society. But we do need to get out of the business of going, we're going to put our hope in America turning around of our politicians being moral. They've proven over decades that that is not going to be the case. And so the question becomes, you know, what do we do? I I appreciate the Beth Moores, the Russell Moores, the... um, All those great Moores out there. All the Moores, you know, the David Frenches of (laughs) the world who take a lot. Like David French, we sat and talked off air one day about, you know, the things people say about him, his family, the phone calls, all this kind of stuff. Mm. So they are, when Beth Moore puts this out there, she's not doing it flippantly. Yeah, she's not doing it without consequence. Yeah. Where I get worried is where does the church begin looking like our political structures, our power mm. structures, our amoral structures? Mm. And where is the church a shining light in this darkness? Like Yeah, it's a I just, really good question. I just don't think that our hope and Beth Moore would agree with this. Our hope is not in these political institutions. But yeah, we also talked about this. Like it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable to me that we're about to have a presidential election that in all likelihood is Joe Biden against Donald Trump. It's, it's unbelievable for age. Yes. It's unbelievable for their track records. Yes. It's unbelievable for what both of them have done through. Yes. The, like, it's just unbelievable it to is. me. It's it's, abs- it's 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 unbelievable. It's absurd. It's discouraging, frankly. Like, I feel so discouraged. Like, this is the best i mean we have to offer this is the best we have to bring to the table we're just going to do this all over again beth moore made it clear that she was not telling people to turn from trumpism and go towards bidenism 
Instead, she reminded Christians that we don't worship flesh and blood. Mm. We don't put our faith in mortals. She said, we have a king. His name is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that's ultimately the call. Now, let's say there are those who are like, I know we have a king. His name is Jesus. I don't worship Trump. I don't worship Biden. But I want to see so-and-so as my president. Like, that's understandable. I, I think the question is, it goes back to what you said, Brian. As the church, what's our place in all of this? And it does seem like if we are not that city on a hill, that lamp, then I, we're looking too much like the vitriolic, angry, amoral leaders. Then, like, that's wrong, too. And we have to figure out how we live in a kingdom that belongs to Jesus. He is our king. And also be active in this world mm-hmm. and fight for what we think is right. And I, that gets tricky. I think, I think that gets really, I think that gets really tricky. We live in a country, we have a home, right? And so it, it is governed by politicians. So there is going to be a choice for president and that choice is going to be between two people, right? Yeah, you yeah. can write in people, you can yeah. go, but let's be honest, it's going to be between right, two people. Right. And so, yeah, you people can come. I've told you this before. I'm not a fan of former President Trump. I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. And a lot of times that gets me to go, well, then I'm not going to vote for either of them. Totally. Kind of makes you like want to throw your hands up in the air. But is that the right response? But I understand people who go, listen, uh, I don't like I'm not voting for a pastor. I understand the problems. But here's what I think needs to happen. Here's the benefit versus this one. I get it. Like we all have to come to our own conclusions. I think where this becomes is when there are certain segments of the church who um, what would be the right word? Lionize, you know, idolize, Mm -hmm. uh, hold Mm -hmm. up various politicians as the hope. Yeah. And we just got to go, no, let's take an honest yeah, look right, at who these right. people are. Let's take an honest look of what they've done in their lives, what they do, whether it be a congressman or the president mm-hmm. or whatever else it might be. And so I just think we need to be, we need that right perspective because yeah. we're part of a democracy. We're part of the political system. Yeah. But that's not, as you said, where our hope lies. Yeah. One more thing Beth Moore said is she told people to move back from Christian nationalism and warned fellow leaders that they will be held responsible if they remain, quote, passive to save their own skin, while saints who have been entrusted to them are being, quote, seduced manipulated, used, and stirred up into a lather of zeal devoid of the Holy Spirit for political Mm. gain. So, Beth Moore, not mincing words over there about America's leaders. Are they amoral? And will we have a better choice? Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I hope we do. Coming up next, we are joined by author Amy Boucher-Pie. She's the author of a book called Transforming Love, How Friendship with Jesus Changes Us. It's all about uh, somebody that Brian preached on last Sunday, Mary and Martha. She also talks about Lazarus. Cannot wait to um, chat with her about friendship with Jesus. We'll have that conversation when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We are thrilled to be joined by author Amy Boucher-Pie. We're going to talk about how friendship with Jesus changes us that's part of the subtitle of amy's new book it's called transforming love how friendship with jesus changes us amy thanks so much for being here with us today oh thank you so much for having me i'm anxious amy later to pick your brain about being an american who's lived in the uk (laughs) for 25 years but before we do that tell us about your new book what's it about why did you decide to write it 
I decided to write it because friendship has been with friendship with Jesus has been so transformative in my life. And I look at the stories of Mary, Martha and Lazarus in the Gospels and I take a fresh look because as I was digging into the Bible commentators I found out that it's so much more than what we might think of are you a Mary, are you a Martha? These are fully orbed characters and let's not forget Lazarus and the way that they had a friendship with Jesus completely change them mm. and that friendship can change us as well mm. love that can you unpack that a little bit more what was that friendship that mary and martha and lazarus had and how does that relate to us now this many centuries later sure well they could come to jesus in all of their fullness with all of their emotions I mean, Martha, she kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't she? But mm-hmm. she stands before Jesus. You know, the, the, the original language has this sense of suddenness and authoritativeness where she says, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. And he doesn't berate her. He mm. just gently calls her to a different way. And then look at in the next story in John 11, how she declares him Messiah. She's one of the three people in the New Testament to do so. So we see how he has this conversation with her, and he calls the true Martha out. Mm. And then in the third story, that wonderful dinner where Mary anoints his feet, where there's just two words, Martha serves. So we see that she's called to be who she truly is, and she's yet called out to, you know, to love and serve him and to be herself. Oh, it's so beautiful. I, I want to transition, if we can, Amy, to talk a little bit about Jesus's relationship With Lazarus, you mentioned the John 11 story. I know you write about that as well. When Lazarus dies, we see such a beautiful picture of Jesus's emotion, Jesus's humanity and Jesus's divinity. I wonder how this image of Jesus and his relationship and even his grief over Lazarus, how does it help us in our relationship with God? Oh, it gives us so much permission to lament before God. I mean, we we see in John 11, that famous shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, and he truly did weep. There's this sense of kind of this anger against the sin in the world, the anger against the sin that will send him to the cross. And by raising Lazarus, indeed, he continues on that process of the religious leaders moving against him. But he gives us, he welcomes us to say, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mm-hmm. That's what both the sisters say to him. And he welcomes us to do that today. Jesus, you know, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened. And he says, lament before me. I'm here. I'm your friend. I can take it. Mm-hmm. Bring all your stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Also in the book, you you take Psalm 23 uh, and personalize it. Uh, help us understand why do you do that and why is it, what do you gain from it? What is the importance of it? The importance goes back to how we're viewing God. And I think a lot of times we don't, re- we're not really in touch with how we are seeing God. So what I like to do is say, Lord, you're my sleep master. I just came back from the States, I'm jet lagged, I'm like a little cranky. And so like, Lord, you give me sleep, you give me rest, you lead me beside quiet waters, even in the night, you know, when I can't sleep, you come and you gently lead me. So it's just, and I do do it better than that. This is mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> I love that. And it's a way of saying, you know, Lord, you're my radio producer, Lord, <laughs> you're my teacher, Lord, you're my friend, Lord, mm-hmm. you're my, whatever it is that we 
say, God, I want you to be my friend. I want you to be everything in my life. And you can fill all these needs. So we just write it out and personalize where we are in the moment. Thank uh, you for asking me I about love that. that. I love the practice. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love that. Amy Boucher-Pie is an author, speaker, retreat leader, spiritual director. We're talking with her about her brand new book, Transforming Love. You have a book that came out in 2015, Amy, called Finding Myself in Britain. And I want to talk about it, one, because it won the Christian Living Book of the Year in the UK, but also because you have found yourself living in Britain. Can you talk to us a little (laughs) bit about that? I can. I can. Actually, I just got off the phone with a movie producer. It might be turned into a film, so watch it. Hey, that's cool. Um, Yeah. Well, because it it has been such a delightful and challenging journey to find myself in Britain, Um, you know, to make the cultural gaffe, to go up and introduce myself. Hi, I'm Amy. I guess you don't do that until, you know, you're sharing grandchildren or things like that. (laughs) I really have found myself here. I found myself as a wife, as a mother, as a writer, as a spiritual director. And primarily, I found myself in God. You know, I found my identity as God's beloved. And so that journey is just a a through-the-year look at life in the UK from an American's point of view. And yeah, it'd be super fun. We were talking about what actresses could play me. (laughs) That's really fun. Yeah. What's been the biggest um, adjustment for you? What is the biggest, you're like, well, I was not ready for that when I, when I relocated away from the States over to here. Well, I think it's actually all the small things because English is the same language, but it's different. Mm. Um, I guess the biggest thing I knew would be missing family and friends, you know, and, and just having to take that long plane ride to go mm. see them and having your flight canceled like it was this week and the hassles Aww. of that. And yet the joys of being here and adopting these wonderful country people, too. Oh, it's fantastic. We're talking with Amy Boucher-Pie about her new book, Transforming Love, How Friendship with Jesus Changes Us. Amy, for our listeners who may want to really cultivate a deeper friendship with God, what are some some steps or some handholds for them? What can they do to begin pursuing a relationship, a friendship with Jesus? Yes. Well, thank you. Um, At the end of each chapter, I have a prayer exercise because for me, prayer is the way that I encounter God most closely. And I love to explore different ways to pray. Um, And so I give, you know, like praying through the Bible. How can I take a passage and really personalize it and make it my own and make it a conversation with God? All these different ways, none of them that are, you know, the quote unquote correct way, but just different ways to pray and to encounter God so that we can enable that moment by moment friendship with Jesus that truly changes us and makes us into the people that God calls us to be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Amy, it's been great to have you Mm -hmm. with us. Uh, Again, the book is called Transforming Love. Where can people connect with you, whether social media, website, where can they find your book as well? Yeah, all those places. So my website's amyboucherpies.com. That's A-M-Y-B-O-U-C-H-E-R-P-Y-E. And there you can find where to buy the book in the States, um, you know, from Amazon, from Barnes & Noble, from Books and Mortar Bookshops. Mm-hmm. I was just at Baker Bookhouse in Michigan nice. it, which was really fun. Um, and I do a monthly newsletter, um, so you can find that on the website and on socials as well. It'd be great to connect with people. Thank you. Okay, Amy, one last quick question. Who's an actress you'd like to play you? 
Well, my daughter just had a whole list. Um, the ones that they listed were a bit too old, so I. I don't <laughs> you just Somebody want her said, to be young, age appropriate. Emily Blunt. How about Emily? There you go. Oh, I like it. I like that. She's fabulous. That's you perfect. Put me on the spot. <laughs> no, that was, a, that was a great answer, Amy. I like it. Emily okay. Blunt. That'll be my vote. I'll start tweeting it and see what happens. Okay. All okay. right. Thanks Good. so much for being here with us today, Amy. Thank you, Aubrey. Thank you, Brian. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.